helping clients meet their financial goals and prepare for the future. Schroders actively and responsibly manages investments. The world is forever changing, and we understand the need to adapt and evolve in line with what matters most to our clients. Hello, my name is John Schaefer, and welcome to the CityWire Wealth Manager podcast. Gold has been one of the few assets that has risen during the pandemic, with investors flooding in as a defensive measure. Its price currently sits above the $1,900 an ounce mark and briefly surpassed $2,000 in August. Year-to-date, prices are up 25%, but can the gold rush continue? I spoke with Alistair McKinnon, manager of the Scottish Investment Trust, which has its three largest holdings allocated to gold mining companies. Looking now, is it too late to buy gold? Um, well, no. Obviously, we are very positive on gold, which is why we have uh, three gold miners right at the top of the portfolio. Um, in terms of right now, gold has gone from $35 in 1975, sorry, 1971 per ounce to the best part of $2,000 today. Why has it done that? Because paper-based currencies have detached from uh have detached from gold itself. But gold should be considered a currency. It's a currency that you can't print. And where are we today, especially post-pandemic, but also beforehand, governments all around the world have discovered the magic money tree. They are saying, uh, quite rightly in the pandemic, they said, listen, if we're going to force everyone to shut down, we're going to have to pay them to stay at home. Not every country did that, by the way. Some of the poorer countries couldn't do that. Uh, so therefore, we're going to do that. Now, once that's been done, though, as we're, we're kind of finding just now, it's very hard to turn it off because there's two things. One, it actually suited a lot of people, that big change. A lot of people, it wasn't it wasn't an unpleasant experience. So there's a, there's a body of people don't mind being in that environment. There's a body of people who were affected uh, economically, but on the flip side, they were getting money from the government. And, you know, that wasn't uh, disastrous for them either. And then more broadly, people are saying, well, hang on a minute. If you can do that in a crisis and nothing bad happens, if you can borrow money and print money effectively, um, wh- why can't we keep doing it? And so, so, yeah, so, so let's look at the fundamentals. Isn't, isn't this, this rally that we've had um, recently just stimulated by QE? Isn't it, is it a bit of a fake rally? I don't well it's you really have to say what's the outlook for uh the creation of paper-based currencies Primar- if you're pricing it in dollars primarily US dollars um as it stands it looks like there isn't really an end in sight to getting government spending back in control back in relation to the tax base Rishi is coming under pressure to uh increase taxes but how likely is that because it would be incredibly unpopular with whichever group he increases taxes for. But this is a global problem. This isn't just this isn't just in the UK the price of the price of gold's not just influenced by what Rishi Sunak does. Correct. It's a global problem because but I was only using the UK as an example because it's you know it's one we're familiar with, it's one we can look at. Um when when there's discussions about why shouldn't we increase benefits, why shouldn't we uh pay more for this, why shouldn't we do there isn't really a good answer to say, well, we should just be austere because. Because we've just had a period where we've printed lots of money, effectively. 
Um, and there hasn't really been a reaction from the financial market. It's a global thing, but politicians all around. If you just put yourself in a politician's shoes, here's your choice. I can either print some money and promise lots of things to lots of people. That'll be quite popular because everyone likes that. Or I can say, uh, oh, I'm going to cut this and cut that and increase taxes here, there and everywhere, which will be really unpopular with a lot of people. There's nobody really was going to vote for the big picture if it negatively affects them. Let's look at the other side of the coin. Um, obviously, QE has wiped out the yield of comparable safe assets. Um, so are there any arguments against holding gold? Well, if to, to look at the arguments against holding gold, you would have to say you would really need to construct a point of view to say, I think there's a scenario where um, governments will outline a path, a credible path to um, getting the economies back on track so that the tax base is in some way better covering the, the revenue base. And you probably have to also be outlining a path where interest rates could be normalized, whatever that might mean, but let's say going up to three, four, five percent again um, in on some sort of time frame whereby people could um, you know credibly earn money in the bank, so to speak, because I think that would diminish the you know the relative attractions of gold itself um, because you don't you don't earn a, a yield on gold. You do earn a yield on gold miners, by the way. Uh, but that's something interesting to talk about, maybe. But but you don't earn a yield on gold, but you do. So if you, if there's an attractive alternative out there that's relatively safe, i.e. a risk-free yield that's, I don't know, three, four, five percent, then, you know, that, I'm sure that would be uh, uh, relatively attractive. But we're not there yet. And and. Do you think this, this represents a, a complete secular change in the market rather than just a, a sort of simple change in buyer, buyer appetite in terms of allocation to gold? And it, could there be more reallocated to this asset class over the next five to ten years? That, that would be my view. I think um, the, if you go back to the 70s, gold was routinely a percentage of portfolios. Um, now, that was partly because it had a good decade and people do tend to allocate the things that have done well. Um, but you've gone from a position of um, gold being maybe between 5 to 10% of people's portfolios to a position now where it's possibly just coming back on the radar. You know, sort of, you know, one, you know, you might, you might be very low, very small amounts. But it, generally speaking, it's not a mainstream asset at the minute. Um, so I think that can change, particularly as, um, you know, people kind of look at what, what, what's happening. You say it's not a mainstream asset. And what, what do you think it would take for the sort of big institutional investors to sort of have a more meaningful allocation to gold? Well, as ever, I think big institutions are often driven by past performance. So they will, uh, you know, for example, in the late 90s, big institutions were 90%, the big insurers were 90% allocated to equities uh, because they'd had a great 20 years. So th there'll always be an element of, uh, with any investment, you need a good story to, you know, people, something that people can say, I get it, you know, 
uh, I understand what the fundamental driver is of this asset or investment. With gold, I think we have that. Then a lot of people require price confirmation to say, actually, this is um, this is uh, this is working. So it's not just me thinking it. It's uh, you know I can I, I can sell this to a committee of people because I can say here's the fundamental case and here's proof that it works. That's always very powerful too. The third thing is you probably need it to be um, become relatively attractive as well compared to other potential asset classes. Um, so that will be the next thing to come. So at the minute, you, I would say for an institutional investor, you've got bonds, generally speaking, look pretty poor value. Commercial properties obviously got um, difficulties. Um, it's different from residential property, but you know it's it's weighted towards offices and often retail. Who knows what the future of both is, but it's certainly going through an uncertain period. Um, and then you've got equities themselves. Well, equities are without question parts of the equity market will be uh, very good hedges against the debasement of currencies. Um, but um, you know, when you look at when you look at what makes up a, a stock market, it's an index, and the makeup of, a, of an index is weighted towards things that have done. Well, recently. You mentioned earlier that you hold gold miners um, and it appears that you're holding gold miners as opposed to physical gold or gold ETFs in the portfolio. Um, um, why is that the case? So, um, again, just to give a little bit of context. So when I first started looking at gold and getting to understand it, it was about 2004 and they just launched the first gold ETF. So I looked at the ways you could invest in gold because I thought this was an interesting asset class. And at the time, I was observing the uh, money creation by the commercial banks at the time, which obviously went wrong in uh, 2008. Um, And what I looked at was I I looked at the gold miners and thought, gosh, I see no reason why anyone would buy these because they were valued uh, in an extremely uh, punchy way mainly because of her scarcity value. So basically, if someone wanted to buy exposure to gold, one of the only ways of doing it was through buying a gold miner. So not directly related to uh, gold. You weren't buying bullion itself. You were buying... um, um, And the management teams of these companies, as a consequence, were very uh, self-serving. You know, they were running the businesses for themselves rather than for the shareholder because there was no pressure for them to change. But when the gold ETF came along, the first one was launched, I believe, by the World Gold Council, I thought, wow, you know, these are a very attractive way of gaining exposure to gold because you don't have the vagaries of uh, what a management team at a gold miner may or may not do. And you don't have the uncertainty of a mine delivering or not. Um, You're getting a plain vanilla exposure to gold with the only caveat being do you actually own the gold or not? And some ETFs, if you look at them today, are better in that regard than others. Um, but I suppose, to be honest, there's always a risk that when push comes to shove, you don't, you know, you, your gold's in a bank vault, but you, you 
won't be able to get access to it. That's always a potential risk with, with something like that. But at that time, gold ETFs looked much better. Why do gold miners look really interesting today? Well, there's two reasons. One, if you look at the sort of index of the big gold miners, uh, they're still way below the peak of about 10 years ago uh, because gold was last high in 2011 when we had the downgrade of uh, when we had the European debt crisis in full flow. And then not long afterwards, you had the US sovereign debt downgrade. Uh, so people were worried then. The gold miners are still well off their peak in that regard. But also they found, I'd almost say they found religion, the, the, the management teams, because they understand that, hang on a minute, people can go and buy a gold ETF. It's actually quite a good way of gaining exposure to gold. So they had to up their um, game a bit. They've had, to, they've had to totally up their game. So, for example, you've seen some mega mergers in the gold sector in the last 18 months or so. And this would never have happened 20 years ago because the management teams had their own little empires and didn't really want to, you know, to end it. And they've done it not because they wanted to necessarily, but because they've had to, to, to create, to continue operating as viable businesses, they've had to operate within the current environment. So, and, and so, and, so those two, top three you've got in the portfolio, so Newmont, Barrick, um, Newcrest, why those three? Well, they are basically uh, the, the, the most diversified big miners in the world with some of the lowest production costs. Um, when you buy a gold miner, I suppose you can have a more speculative point of view and say, I'd really like to try and play for upside in exploration. Um, you know, they could they kind of, uh, if you use the equivalent of oil, hitting a gusher and um, getting an exponential return. We're not, looking for that we're looking for well-run miners that have um diverse operations that w where we're the, the, you know there's obviously always things can go wrong but we're getting exposure to um w what we like which is the gold itself but also the potential for these companies to become much more efficient as they um sort of take the uh, acquisitions, the big the big mergers they've had as they synergize, get the synergies from that. And they just continue to operate in a much more commercially minded type of way. So, so, so that's why we see those three in particular as um, at the, uh, as the most attractive gold mine. But they've also got dividend yields as well. I mean, these are actually gold miners, funnily enough, are about the only equities in the world that have seen revenue growth dividend growth, earnings growth in the last year. I know lots of companies have done quite well. But and, often, and, and with that dividend, is it sort of reliable dividends? Is it sort of special dividends? How, how does it work? No, it's, it's, it's reliable dividends. They've all, you know, uh, they're all very cautious. They're all um, have increased them in the last couple of years from, from yielding not a lot to yielding something. Uh, you know, for example, Newmont yields sort of one and a half percent, something like that. Uh, but again, they're not making any promises going forward but they're sort of saying well look when as we look forward we'll have frankly their problem just now is the environment's so good with them they know they've got to to do something with the money now do, what, what do would they, i do if i were them do so, they tend so, to pay a special dividend when when they strike gold no not as such not as such they uh 
but they, what they tend to do will probably be like most companies. They will look to increase the regular dividend in a way they feel is sustainable on the very long run. But if they feel there's a period where they will, um, you know, they have just got too much cash, uh, but they don't want to commit to a huge dividend increase, they might pay it as a special. But the history to date has been a very slow increase in the regular um, from a from a low base to a point though where, where the, you know, the, the yields and the, the context of the world we're in are not bad. Let's look to a couple of weeks to the US election. What's that going to do uh, to gold prices? Um, perhaps you could look at kind of either scenario. So there's really two, well, I suppose there's, there's two obvious uh, scenarios, which is either President Trump is re-elected or we have a new uh, um, President Biden uh, is, is elected instead. There are also alternative scenarios, which are occasionally banded about, which yeah, is... Let's hope uh, not. <laughs> let's, let's hope not, exactly. But, but that, to be, to be brief, that would be a contested election uh caused by well i suppose particularly the postal vote seems to be causing some uh, concern but um so at the big picture though the candidates are not dissimilar now i know they're very different individuals and there's probably no point getting into personalities as such but they are uh both committed to big government they're both committed to more government spending they're both committed to mega stimulus uh and so are the parties behind them. The, for example, the big stimulus debate in the US, which probably won't be resolved before this election, is, I believe, now, I might not be fully up to date with where the, because they've started off at different negotiating stances and they're kind of meeting more and more in the middle. But the last thing I read was the Republicans are at 1.6 trillion and the Democrats were at 2.2 trillion, having moved from one and three, respectively. Now, the point is, though, is what's the difference, really? Once you've decided you're going to spend a trillion dollars uh, you, that you don't have, why don't you spend three? I mean, what, what's the, 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 philosoph the philosophical argument is the same, basically. It's more you, 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 you're not saying we want to try and balance the books in some sort of time frame. You're saying, no, it's a good thing to spend money. So if it's a good thing to spend more money, why not spend more of it? So in that regard, they're very, very similar. Um, in terms of what what might happen to markets investments generally, I think, now obviously, if you believe the polls and we can only take them at face value, um, President Trump will lose. But having said that, We've been here before with polls, so I guess we can't really draw too many conclusions. Um, I suspect he might be seen as a little bit more market friendly. The initial reaction to his election was positive because he had a, an agenda. Of I mean, and cuts. if he is more market friendly, um, isn't that a negative for gold? Um, not necessarily, because the way he will be market friendly is it's potentially cutting taxes, giving more stimulus, more freebies, which is all positive for gold. The way to consider gold is really as a currency. You can't print gold. The mine supply means the stockpile grows between 1% to 2% per annum, whereas the amount of money you can print is, well, it's not quite infinite, but it 
but in theory it is you can print as much money as you need so in that regard i don't see either candidate as negative for gold if you see what i mean albeit i'm sure we can construct scenarios that are on on the biden point i think though he's talked about increasing corporate taxes which wouldn't be unpopular necessarily because um it doesn't affect voters as such um so that's something the market might not like if that actually comes to fruition but on the flip side you would have by the look of it a democratic clean sweep of all the arms of government so he would be able to push through some of these huge stimulus measures he's been talking about which would be you know this green revolution and so on um green new deal i think he called it so um so difficult to call difficult to know exactly all the scenarios but basically they're not that dissimilar uh, obviously personality wise they are but but in terms of what they'll do they're, they're committed to the same agenda um let's look at obviously the search for the vaccine um will gold crash if a vaccine is found overnight well apparently we've already got vaccines you know the russians have one the chinese apparently have so one. yeah <laughs> yeah uh I, I read vladimir putin tested it on his daughter i mean i presume you don't do that um if you think there's if if, if you don't think this it's pretty good stuff so um but but i think you know where i'm getting something that's been peer-reviewed uh, by the sort of wider scientific community yeah fair enough yeah fair enough uh, okay well um so if we had a vaccine announced tomorrow and everyone in the world was vaccinated the following day, uh, does that matter for gold? Well, look, it might have an impact, but the bigger picture would still be um, what's going to happen with money printing. Because now we've, it's been discovered, how would you put it back in its box? It's, it's like um, politicians will... People now say, hang on a minute, you were able to pay me to stay at home and not work. And that was OK. I didn't mind doing that. And um, but now you tell me you've got no money. But I don't understand why you were able to bail out the banks 12 years ago. And, you know, you're able to do all sorts of measures to bail out various industries. Why can't you? Why do we have to suffer? Uh, and the answer is there's no reason whatsoever at the minute because bond markets don't mind. So the politicians who will win power are going to be the big spenders so that genie is out the bottle so to speak um and nothing will change that the vaccine you should really see covid is almost i'm not going to say it's an incredibly important event but in terms of what we're seeing just now it just crystallized what was already happening anyway which was uh i uh a monetary environment that is out of kilter with what the economies are actually capable of sustaining on a long-term basis. So COVID accelerated all that as it's accelerated many other trends, but that has not gone away. So the vaccine, yes, I I don't know what impact it might have on a very short-term view, but the big picture is we are now committed to a decade off inflationary spending. Uh, That will be, that is the that, to my view, is the trade of the decade, is inflation is coming. Couldn't tell you if it's when it comes exactly in that decade, but that is the, 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 the view. And why is there going to be inflation? Well, I think it was Milton Friedman said, inflation is always a monetary phenom- phenomenon, which is to do with um, 
which means governments always create inflation by printing money. That's that's basically where it comes from. And why do they print money? Because it's easy option. On the other side of the portfolio, you've um, you've got a couple of pharma stocks. I think the largest position is Pfizer. Obviously, they, they recently indicated that they um, might be able to distribute a vaccine by the end of the year. Um, is that is there an element of that being a hedge against gold as well? You sort of you're kind of offsetting your portfolio. Not really. No, it's you know Pfizer has been a company that was uh, you know we invest in what we call ugly ducklings um, as, as part of our. Um, reason for you know we think people get overexcited about growth effectively when it's going well and they get too depressed about companies when they stop growing now pfizer probably stopped growing as with many big pharma companies 20 years ago uh they went from sort of well loved yeah yeah well loved growth companies to a couple of tough decades now the way we see pfizer is it's quite a cheap company uh in terms of how you evaluate. It's got a good dividend yield. It's got an interesting portfolio of potential new um, drugs. Uh, the vaccine being part of that sort of mix, but not it won't won't it won't be a money spinner for Pfizer as such. Um, it's just a and it's but it, also it's got a very important franchise. You know the, the big pharma companies generally have got very important franchises to. Um, so no, we don't see it as a hedge as such. We just see it as a a company we think looks unloved and looks well on that on that basis. You, you don't think that um, if they do get that vaccine, you don't think the share price is going to have a huge bump. Well, I think they, they uh, people will no doubt buy it on the back of uh, things like that. You know, it's an emotional thing that people will like, if you see what I mean. Uh, but. Is it going to be massively significant to the long-term prospects for the company? Unlikely, other than it just reiterates to all the stakeholders in society, from politicians down to the individuals in the street, that big pharma is important. It's important to society. You can bash them on the head for making too much money sometimes, but if you don't let them make money in some areas, then they're not able to invest have the resources the to do the research. And so. Yes, and and that's not to say it's a perfect system, but that's sort of um, you know that that's the thing. So so it, it might well have uh, you know it, it might well attract a bit of hot money, but it's not why we're in it, and it's not something is our by any means our really in our investment thinking at all. So um, and to be honest, it's 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 out there. If it's something, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's not an unknown story. This either. It's. 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 The horse has bolted usually, somewhat. It's well. I suppose you never know. But uh, you know, markets do discount known news to some extent. So uh, um, obviously, with it, as you, uh, you know, they don't always like uncertainty. So they're not good at knowing what to do then. But when when there's known news out there, they're you know it gets priced in relatively quickly. Good stuff. Well, Alistair, thanks so much for speaking to me. It's been a pleasure. No, likewise. Thank you very much indeed. Schroeder's is built on 200 years of experience and expertise. We partner with our clients, constructing innovative products and solutions across private assets and alternatives, solutions, mutual funds, institutional and wealth management. 
By combining our commitment to active management and focus on sustainability, our strategic capabilities are designed to deliver positive outcomes. With over 5,000 talented staff across 35 locations, we are able to stay close to our clients and understand their needs.